Welcome, everybody. This is Dalton Jensen, and you're tuning into The Thinking Project. All right, everybody. Welcome to The Thinking Project. This is one of my best friends, uh, Brenton Clark. And uh, he is the owner of uh, the owner of Ardent Services, so uh, a franchise uh, for Ardent. So tell us what that is, Brent. So what we what we do is we uh, we're a service companies specifically into the pest control industry. We focus mostly on on pest control, bugs, rodents, mosquitoes, termites, lawn care, any, any of that sorts there. Yeah, and I'm one of the franchise owners out in uh, Virginia Beach, and I own the Virginia Beach franchise and the Richmond, Virginia franchise. So you're out in Virginia right now. Yes. Are you? That was nuts. I texted you, and I was like, "Hey, do you just want to come on?" Because I didn't think you were scared of the Rona. And uh, <laughs> and you're like, "No, I'm in Virginia," and I was like, "That's nuts." So you don't. So you just own them out there, and. Is it like, is that a, is that busy with what's going on right now? Man, that's the funniest part about the whole, the whole dilemma. At first, you know, we, we just started this year and we'd been working for about two weeks. We were probably bringing in generating anywhere from, you know, probably five to $8,000 that first week, which is a couple of guys out selling mm-hmm. pest control. And then all of a sudden the, the coronavirus hits and yeah. it huge, huge halt in the whole operation. And as a small business, it was, it was pretty interesting because at first you're like, oh, what do we do? You know, you're trying to adjust. People are starting to get a little weary that you, you know, we go, we, we focus in direct sales. Yeah. People are getting a little bit more weary of, of us coming to the door. So we stopped. But then I understood, I think at the end of the day, you begin to understand that, you know what, like business had to move forward. Even though people were quarantined, we actually started getting calls from people needing us to come out and do services because the bugs weren't quarantined. I bet, man. Yeah, I live, so in our, just in my little condo, in our little condo here, I've had to do that too, where it's like, dude, I need, like, your kids have to play inside or like in the backyard, and your daughter, my daughter comes in with like a, a bug bite, and I'm like, dude, dang it. It's not a big deal, right? But some of these spiders can get bad out here, man. And I don't mean, and I'm not just saying that because we're on a podcast. I'm saying that for real. When you have kids and your daughter comes in with this weird, it's like a white bite. You're like, no way, man. We got to figure that <laughs> yeah, out. Yeah, <laughs> so I think it's, so I think you're right. I, 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 I'm always surprised about how like business people started to kind of slow down, but then when they realize like you can't shut down a whole economy, it doesn't work like that, right? For anything that they started coming back together. What kind of precautions did you guys have to take? Like, cause door to door is um, pretty scary. Did you guys have to like wear masks or what kind of precautions did you take? Yeah. So initially once the whole quarantine stay at home order fell into place, we completely stopped the, uh, the door to door side and went more, uh, online social media marketing. We started doing just cold calls over the phone. We had to, we, we had to find some way to continue to bring, bring revenue. We had commitments already to, to make through, and we just bought a, a fleet of vehicles. We just hired some, a branch manager and service manager. We just uh, contracted with a distributor to distribute products that were coming oh in. Yeah. So yeah, there was, there was tens of thousands of dollars. Of, and then on top of that, we had the apartments for the crew to stay yeah. in. That was probably looking at about close to 
15 to $20,000 that were due that month to start rolling out, you know? So we went to straight online. We did, we pushed it. We, we pretty much siphoned all the money that we were going to use into the direct sales into online marketing. Okay. So we pumped it all into there doing a ton of, uh, like I said, social media ads, Google ads, pumped it there while our direct sales force was using the phone books and just going cold calling that. <laughs> cold calling, so, baby. Cold yeah. calls. Yeah. Full, full 180, right? I mean, like if, you, if they're going to buy at the door, they're going to buy on the phone. You just catch them, right? Yeah. And then we're doing the other side of the online marketing. And you really, and you have to adapt like that. You can't because if it doesn't work one way, and it's 2020, man. You know, door-to-door sales is awesome, but you can make a lot of money on the phone, dude. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can make a lot of money on the phone. So you're, I love talking to franchise owners because that's a whole nother ball game. That's, kind of, that's a little different than starting, because I know you've, you've had businesses from the ground up, but that's a little bit starting, a little bit different than starting a business like from the ground up. So how did you get involved with like the franchise and why did you pick that? Yeah, so a little bit about, about my history. So I, I was going to school for mechanical engineering and what I was doing to pay for school, like many people know, was through door-to-door sales or, or direct sales. Yeah. And, it, and it's pretty big, you know, where we're from. Everyone, everyone's heard about it. And I saw a lot of people making good money. So right. ultimately, I, I did that to pay for school. And I, I did it the last two years of school. And once I graduated college, the idea of taking that big of a pay cut to start an entry-level engineering job just logically didn't make sense and financially didn't make sense. Yeah. So I looked for different routes in the industry to, to gain, gain equity in a company. And, and a lot of companies offered equity programs. Yeah. 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 But those are some type of sweat equity or, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> or something like that. And I found, I found ardent, uh, you know, more of a smaller local company to, that was offering a higher equity split because they're trying to get, get the wheel rolling and, sure. and, um, get a name out there for themselves and a brand. Right. So that's kind of what led me into the ardent or at least the franchise option. I was just yeah. ultimately looking for a company that had uh, ethics and, you know, great statement and a good direction. They had statistically were very, very, very fast growing uh, rate. Talked to a bunch of the owners, met with them, offered the highest equity, great group of guys. So I just said, yeah. dope down in into, um, into franchising with them. Yeah. I like, I like that you said that because I think a lot of people who get into sales while they're in college or when they're young or something like that, run into that problem. You start making really good because you can make really good money in sales. And you know, if you just, if you know how to sell, you can make really, really good money in sales. Same thing happened to me. I went for accounting, right? And I was like, okay, I'll get out of the, the car business, which is where I'm at right now. And I'll pick up an accounting job. And it was like, whoa, that's not, I can't, I can't, I can't do that. And it's more fun, right? You get the, you get the degree. Cause if you need it, you can fall back on it. Right. And I, and I hate, I said this in one of like the other interviews that we did, cause I did it with a college professor and I was like, I don't college bash. Like a lot of people out there bash getting a degree, you know, yeah. like you don't need it. You don't need it. And I don't go that far cause I think it's good. And I thought it taught me that a lot of really good things, a lot of really good skills, but at the same time, whatever you decide to do, you know, you, you can be malleable, right? It can be flexible. You see what I'm saying? And I think, and I think we were both on that same page, right? Yeah. I think that's, that was a big part about my growing up. Like that was the thing to do. And and off camera, you were, you and I were talking about, you know, the idea of being an entrepreneur, being a small business owner, 
you know, 20 years ago wasn't cool. You know, right. A lot of people, I think that's one nice thing, of, not a nice thing, but one, one thing that I'm beginning to realize that the, the virus itself, the pandemic is exposing a lot of fake entrepreneurs, you know, influencers. Seriously. And, and in essence, I, I did the degree for the, the comfort, you know, I, I yeah. grew up knowing in, in a household where, you know, corporate America was a thing and I have nothing negative to say about that. Right. But there's just a transition in, in where we live today that, you know, yeah, I got the mechanical engineering degree, a STEM degree, very prestigious degree in what we acclaim now. Yeah. But it was more out of just like a comfort level where now through sales and through owning a franchise, it's helped me to be more uncomfortable, continue to grow in an essence in a way that I don't feel like, you know, becoming an engineer would have. Well, yeah. And one of the main things with entrepreneurs, right, is you got to have multiple flows of income. And I feel like you can't knock one flow over another, right? And so, like, I've used my accounting degree to generate other side hustles and to slide into some other side gigs, right? And and I feel like you can do that with a lot of of degrees like that. You know, at least you can say I have that background and Mm -hmm. get into it. You know what I mean? Plus, you just have, I mean, you just get more experience and that's what matters, right? I was talking to my brother-in-law about that where, because he was getting ready for some interviews and I was like, dude, don't worry about like, don't start talking to him about like classes in school. You just, you need to tell him about like your experience, right? Because he was like, I'm going to put all these classes that I took. And I was like, no way, man, if you're going to go in there and you're going to like get a job interview, um, your main thing that you need to do is like show them what you have, right? So if you're going into like a, like he wanted to be an electrical engineer. And so I was like, well then like build something, dude. And then, and then put that on your resume. Yeah. Right. Because so you hire salespeople, right? And, and I've hired salespeople in the past and I don't care if you have a degree in sales, right? It's about one thing, man. Can you sell or not? And how bad do you want it? So what do you look for in like a sales guy? That's a really good question, man, because I feel like everybody wants to sell. Everybody, it, it comes more naturally to people. Yeah. But I feel like everyone can sell if they've got three main things. And this is what I'll tell people straight out of the gate, just yeah. to make sure their expectations are in the right spot. Right. So the number one thing that we look for is that work ethic. And that, that hands down... I can give you all of the training you need to need to get. I can get you to wherever you want to be financially and what you want to make in the summer because right. I've been there, but I can't force anybody. I'm not going to be the one knocking on your door to, to go out and sell. I'm not going to be the one like, Hey man, like what's going on? Why aren't you out there? You know, why aren't you showing up to the meetings? Why aren't you doing right. your part? Like it's got to have like an inner, inner work ethic. That's something that I can't, that can't be taught in just the four months. It's got to yeah, be something yeah. brought to the table. Right. Second, most importantly would be coachability. I mean, we've all played on a sports team. You know, you, you know, the kids who are getting yeah. yelled at, it's not, be, you're not getting yelled at because you're, they don't care about you. They're, you're, you're getting reprimanded so that you can change, you know, who's yeah. going to spend the extra time with their leaders training and role playing. Who's going to be diving through the manual training, watching the videos, training all the extra on the side work and training in themselves to help them get to the next level. Yeah. 
And I think the third thing, and this is debatably the most important, it's just the positivity. I mean, no one likes being around someone negative. <laughs> like, it's so mentally draining. Oh, yeah. So I feel like with, with just remaining positive, coachable, mm. and have a hard work ethic, I can get people where they want to be financially. I can help people achieve their goals because I've been there and I've been at the, the top you know, 5% of the industry before in own personal sales. Mm-hmm. So I can help you get where you want to be. But those are the three things that I really look forward in guys, girls who want to come out and, and try direct sales. Yeah. So that brings up two questions. The fr- And I'll get back to the first one. But the second one was, you met, you know, guys and girls, salesmen. So in like our industry, it's predominantly male, although I've had a lot of killer girl salesmen. Is it, have you found that in your industry it's predominantly male or or like when a when a female comes in do they kill it yeah that's a funny question because man i'll I'll be the first to admit any any girl who's just got a good head on her shoulders and can take rejection will do way better than any male oh yeah 100 percent. here's why yeah when we when you're when you're knocking on the doors most men are the breadwinner statistically Right. So they're going to work, getting back 5, 6 p.m. at night. So the whole 10 a.m. to 5 p.m., you're speaking to the housewives. Mm-hmm. And a woman will come off so much more relatable, so much more um, understanding yeah. than a male will, statistically, yeah. than, than, than a man will. So yeah, a girl that who can, who can go out, put in the hours, like I said, bring those three things to the table, will outsell a man any day of the week. Yeah, I, I love it. I hired, I had a, I had a few girls that I hired in car sales and they killed it. I was actually, so I had, I was hired by a a team leader. Her name was Angelia and she killed it. She taught me a lot. And then we had a general manager. Her name was Jen, like the top position in the industry. One of the top positions in the industry and learn more from her than I did anybody else. So that's why I always think, I think it's a shame that more girls don't end up in sales. I and that's like 100% honest because they can, they can just, they can kill it. And on the phone, I built a BDC, so a, a business development center in my dealership. And that's the, that's the one thing I was looking for was like, because you talk to a, a girl on the phone and they're just so nice to listen to and they know their stuff and mm-hmm. they can break down all those walls that, that somebody comes up with right out of the gate, you know? So anyway, I really want to see more girls in the sales game because I think it just, that would just change it. I 100% agree. And I feel like it, because it is so predominantly male oriented, I could see more women beginning to, to step up and do it. Yeah. And I think, I think when we have, you know, you promote the women who do so well, that more women will begin to see that more women will take part in that and be able to have the same success as, as the people who do, as the women who do it now. Yeah, for sure, man. So then the, and then the, so to get back to like those three traits, because I love, I love them. It's, it's hard to find like a quality salesperson um, because it's just so, it's just so stinking hard. Like people don't understand that everything we do is a sale, right? But that people, people don't want to be sold, but they want to buy something. Right. So how do you make them feel like they're, you're just helping them buy something. Right. And I, and I feel like that's always the hardest because you have to want it. You know, you have to be there, you have to show up. And then, yeah, and then you got to know like what's going on, right? And mm-hmm. how, do you, how do you build your team? Like how do you find those kind of people on your team? 
So you're like, so you're saying, how do you, how do you find those quality guys who have those three yeah. traits? Yeah. I think a lot of it goes back to, you know, you attract what, what what's the phrase? Like you attract what you're retracting or something like that. You yeah, know, yeah, you attract yeah. people who are like you. Yeah. So I think it's a lot of that comes down to the people around me in, in my circle, the, the network I have. It, a lot of them, I look for the guys who have, you know, similar traits to what I'm looking for that I have that I see. I wish there was like one golden answer to say like, hey, this is where we find them all. Here's, here's a little nugget of people who have all the traits we're looking for. But I think it's just all about the numbers game and keeping the pipeline full. You know, start out by marketing it and then getting in contact with as many people as you can and then begin to weed them out. Yeah, because sales has such a high turnover, man. And that's such a, that's such a bummer, you know, and that's when you get, but that's why you get real honest in your interviews. You know what I mean? Like, because I never mess with people's money. And if, and if, you know, anybody listens to this, who's ever been interviewed by me, I don't, I, that's like one thing I always say, like, I don't mess with people's money. So like you, you can make as much as you want or as little as you want. And it's, it's, it's it's totally up to you, man. Like if you want to show up and get, because in our industry, we, we're commissioned, but it's W2. So we have to pay minimum wage or, or commission, whichever's higher. Right. And so I, you know, you can, if you want to come in here and make minimum wage, like you can do that. Or if you want to come in here and you want to make seven, eight, nine grand a month, you can do that. Or if you want to fall somewhere in the middle, but you know, it's, it's not going to be worth it for you not to give it your all because it's way too hard. It's yeah. way too hard. It's not. And the other thing I see it's like, so what, how do you train your guys? Yeah. So I guess what it's broken down to is a seven step process. So in direct sales, we talk about first, we go over the introduction to the presentation. Yeah. We then go over how to price, price out the options and all services we have. We then go into the service. We break down and go into the paraverbal communication of, mm-hmm. of prospects on the door. We then do the nonverbal communication. We yeah. talk about how to sign them up, actually solidifying the deal, yeah. you know, getting the contract signed. And then the last part is the solidify referral, asking for more business. Yeah. So there's a seven step process to that. But how we train though is, is more, that's, that's the content. How we train is, is very individualized, one-on-one training. Sure. And I think if I had to pinpoint it to one thing, the training is consistency. Yeah continually having that repetition and consistency, Mm -hmm. like having guys come in every other day, weekly, you know, at least once a week contact two times a week. It's all about just keeping the consistency flow of, of having the, you know, the, the content flowing in and out of training with them. Yeah. I think a lot of like sales trainers miss that, right? Um, They don't train enough like often because it's just like it's you, you got to go back to the basics all the time man and it was like when i was in high school we wrestled and you know like fancy moves and stuff like that will win you high school matches right or like season matches like exhibition matches but like the fancy moves won't win you in um in like the state tournament right it's like basic stuff that wins state championships and that's what I always try to teach too. Like, don't get fancy. We're, we're humans meeting other human beings and you don't need to be fancy and we don't need to try all these tricks and stuff like that. That if you can like really get to where 
you're comfortable and where it's like basic, you're going to be just fine, dude. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I, that's, so Dalton, that's, that's the best part about sales is I see the guys it, who are so focused and I'm, I'm guilty of this at fault too. Right. It's a, it's a consistent battle that we as salesmen, saleswomen, yeah. uh, battle with every single day. It's like, look, you know, I need to go out there and make, make two sales, three sales. I need to make 10 sales today. I need to make 20 sales today. Right. Right. And you get so focused on the results that it begins to cloud and, and detach from what you're actually trying to do. And what you're saying is the fun part of sales and the reason why we do sales. It's not about the results. It's literally about the process that gets us to the results. Yeah. You know, I tell my guys, I'm like, look, trust the process and value the results. Right. And that's what you're right. saying, like the basics of it. You know, you don't, there's, there's nothing that I'm telling anybody that hasn't been said already. Yeah, 100%. I'm just trying to funnel it in one, in one setting to one person. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the sales is way, sales is like, that's a whole nother world. You can go deep down the rabbit hole in sales. You know what I mean? And I think that, but that, but the process is the most important part, right? That's the, that's the part you can control that you can control. Um, and, uh, you can control that 100%. You can't control the, like the outcome all the time, right? You can do everything you can. And that's what I like. That's what I teach my sales guys, because if you just go in like looking for the sale right up front, like people will smell that. Like I call it commission breath. Like people, breath. <laughs> people will smell that you're trying to sell them something. So if you just like breathe and trust the process and, and just do it right, but do it right. Things will happen for you. Like with your, like you will take advantage of um, the process and people will start to flow right because pe that's one thing i learned in sales that people don't realize is like i didn't realize how much you can really like people can really see and feel like other people's energy like dude if you don't want to be there they know you don't want to be there you know what i mean and if all you want is a, is money and all you want is a sale then they know they can feel that right yeah 100% so it's funny you say that because i i talk to talk to people about this all the time right yeah. And it's all, you know, Grant Cardone and Seller Be Sold, you know, talks about when you're, when you're fully committed and full, fully convinced in your product, yeah. you have a moral and ethical motivation to sell it. Yeah. So, and that's how I feel about, about pest control. You know, more, more homes are destroyed by termites than all of national or natural disasters combined. Yeah. And then like when you, when you get down to the nitty gritty of that, like I see that I'm adding beneficial services to people's home. That's right. why pest control is the number one um, home expense service in the entire nation. Yeah. And, and, and I, when I can have that and have that moral backing to it and understand we have a quality product and we do more than most of the companies out there. Yeah. It's more motivating. There's this moral and ethical draw to the service yeah. that I'm selling and that people can feel that emotion. That emotion is contagious. You know, that yeah. confident emotion. People can feel that aurora and feel that vibe at the door. You know, if you're yeah, if you've really been slammed and you're showing it, like that, people will feel it. But if you've oh. really been signing people up, have the confidence, people feel that too. Yeah. Oh, and and that uh, and that brings up like another really good point. Like that um, that it'll that stuff happens all the time, right? Um, 
So I want, but I want to go back to this part, right? Because I, I just find this so interesting. So as a franchise owner, what are you responsible for as a franchisee and what is the franchise responsible for? So like for people who would listen to this, who, who are trying to find like a new side gig or something like that, franchisee, like what does that mean? Yeah. So the, the beauty of what we do is probably because it's a lot smaller. There's no franchise fees or franchise tags. Okay. okay. With, uh, Cause sometimes there are right. So yeah, exactly. So if you own a McDonald's or Chick-fil-A, you have some royalties in essence, okay. uh, your franchise fees that you'd have to pay, you know, the owners. Yeah. But this is more of a, a conventional like owner equity split in each of the franchises. So yeah. I've got my equity split and my central role okay. is sales and recruiting. Okay. One of the other partners is logistical stuff you know, making sure the numbers fit as we buy the trucks, as we get the apartments, like all sure. the money, the cash flow. So like, so like a CFO, like an accountant. Exactly. Okay. And then you have the other guy who does more of the, the, the customer service side. So oh. hiring the technicians, the branch managers, customer service, making sure the customers are getting service, the whole service side. Yeah. Like HR kind exactly. of stuff, right? Compliance and stuff. Okay. Yeah. So that's how the three are split there. Okay. There's no cap, you know, if you can recruit and sell enough, you know, there's obviously steps to obtaining a franchise. Yeah. But if you can sell, recruit enough to fill multiple branches, you can open up in whichever market you want. That's cool, man. Yeah. So that's kind of how it happened. You, you were selling and then you met a few guys and got together and said, let's do this ourselves." So you get 100% of the net or do you split it with a franchise or how do, or how does that work? how the equity works. Yeah. Yeah. So it's 40% of the branch is, is equity to me. 40% is for the CFO. And then the remainder 20% is for the HR. Oh, okay. So you just like Ardent is the franchise, right? Ardent is the company, but but you just use the name. You get 100% of the net. Like you guys, you, you three get a 100% of the net. You got it. Yeah. That's awesome, man. Yeah, that doesn't no. happen a lot. Like with, like if you franchise a restaurant or you franchise um, like a boutique store or something like that, that's, that's not always the case. Or you franchise like a, a gym. Yeah. Right. So that's way cool, man. So, but then, yeah. then, then you are 100% the loss. Exactly. And you're 100% yeah. the advertising. Yep. Jeez, man. That's nuts, dude. <laughs> yeah, you hire hire people from within. It's cool. I like it that, that way. That is cool. You're you're more involved, right? Yeah. So, for example, I, I knew a guy who owned a few McDonald's. Yeah. When McDonald's will push a huge marketing marketing campaign and change up. You remember where McDonald's like ten years ago went through that whole like transition from the, the like lighter colors to more of like a modern like like rustic yeah. look, they change it all. Like once right. they push that, like everyone's then forced to change it with them and, and take all the costs with it Jeez. to change their, their models. With us, like it's more of a partnership and there's no, right. there's not a ton of overhead on top because you're, you're, you know, your name's on the bank account with the other partners who own yeah. other ardent franchises throughout the nation. That's sweet, man. Yeah. Cause like I said, that, that's pretty rare. Like that doesn't happen a lot. Like they tell you how to like normally in a franchise, like they tell you how to advertise. They, they tell you what to advertise and 
you know, they'll, you know, you have a franchise fee or something like that to use the name. Right. Um, And that's just pretty, that's like common, you Mm -hmm. know, and it's just at that point, what franchises, you know, whatever you want to go with. Right. Exactly. That's nuts, man. I think that owning a franchise though, isn't a bad idea necessarily if you got the right stuff. Right. If you got the right, like know how, you know what I mean? But you're also in, so aside from like Arden, you're also in real estate because we had talked about that. You know, we talked, you're in real estate too. So how did you get into real estate and why did you pick real estate? Cause that's kind of booming. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a, uh, it's like the whole cliche thing to do. I feel yeah. like right now it's kind of like, Oh yeah, you're an entrepreneur too. And, but I think yeah. for me, so in full, full, full transparency with me, numbers, like the stock market side of things, the numbers just don't ever really clicked for me. Sure. Like, you know, I, I take tough. the time, do it. And it just never really clicked. But right. with real estate that was, you know, I began reading the books, you know, obviously I started with Grant Cardone. He's the guru. Yeah, he of, loves real estate. Loves real estate. Yeah. He loves real estate. And then estate. I just branched off of that. I, I got into um, some podcasters of the podcast called bigger pockets podcast, a yeah. bunch of buddy and eyes. And I just started like connecting with people who did it. And once someone kind of showed me the ropes and helped me like just minimize and, and, right. and break down real estate and how it actually flows and like having right. a physical, tangible asset that people are always going to need a place to live. Yeah. Going anywhere. Yeah. It just, it just started to click with me and I was like, look, I'm always going to need a place to live. So I got started in under wanting to do the whole house hacking. Right. Or, you know, I, I buy a multifamily unit and I live in one of the units Sorry. as the get the tenants pay. And we actually currently do that now where I haven't paid a mortgage or rent in a, in months. That's sweet, man. I, um, I think it's a, no, I think it's a great idea, man. Real estate isn't bad. In fact, I remember a conversation you and I had a while ago, like it was, it was a couple of years ago, but I remember you asked, you like shot me a text. You're like, Hey, if you had X amount of money, like what would you do with it? And like, without, I didn't even like skip a beat, man. I texted you back like right away and I was like, you need, I would go buy some kind of property like land that you can build on or a house that you can fix up if you want to flip or something. I was like, you just, that's where you put your money because the stock market's fine, but that's a, that's a long-term game. It's, you know, and I think real estate's a long-term game. Um, but like stocks are a long, <laughs> long-term game game. If you do it right, like, like Warren Buffett, um, his book is the intelligent investor by, by Bill Graham, William Graham. And he read that book and that was Warren Buffett's mentor. And if you go read that book, um, that I had to read for one of my finance classes in college, if you go read that book, it's a long game. You, you know what I mean? You just play forever, you know? (laughs) Uh, and for real estate, that's fine. But you know, you can get pretty quick in real estate. You can, you can own a house, you can flip it. You can, you can use the equity from one house and go to, and go to more, uh, apartments or something like that. Multifamily apartments, multifamily duplexes, triplexes, stuff like that. And I don't think that's a dude. I, I love it, man. Mm-hmm. It's definitely not a bad idea. Yeah. And it's fun. I, I like the, um, like I'm just such more of a hands-on guy. So I like the understanding that you know, it's like more of a tangible asset. Right. Where I can go view it. I can go walk through it. I can look at the bones of the, of the house and For sure. it, it, it correlated with what I would need. You know, like I need a place yeah. to lay my head. I don't want to pay for that place. I lay my head. 
So it's for, it was just kind of like, I need this. People need right. this. How am I going to bring these two together? So, yeah, so why not? I'm a cheapskate. So like, yeah, dude. I like to spend a lot of money. So this just I'm seemed cool to work out. It, yeah. And if you do it right, it can save you a ton of money, man. And mm-hmm. if you do it right, you can just keep going. Right. Um, so you, so you've done that. You, you've bought a house where you're house hacking. So what kind of, le- like what lessons did you learn? Did you take any hits in the face while you were learning it? Tell us the story, man. Yeah. So we got, we got a couple units now. Um, I think it took a, there's this whole analysis paralysis idea where yeah. I would just get on Redfin, Zulo and look at these houses, run a number through the Excel spreadsheet that we made. Right. And I never pulled the trigger because the most money I ever spent in my life, but I had, you know, a good stockpile from selling for so many yeah. years. And I was like, okay, finally, they're like one came up and I got connected with a real estate agent who I fully trust, like down earth guy met with him. He's got investment properties. He was focused. His focus is house hacking over, over just right. residential single family homes. So once I connected with him, fully trusted him, he started bringing deals to my table and then we started going, I, you know, man, I, <laughs> how many have you done? How many, how many houses have you done? We're at, we're at one. We're on this first duplex. We got another one. We're about to put under contract. Uh, That's sweet, plug. dude. Yeah. And, and right now is a good time just cause you know, everything, at least in Utah County is at a premium. Yeah. You know, I get it a few months, you'll get some discounted rates. I'm sure. Um, but I don't know if there's like two major lessons I learned. I realized going into the whole like house hacking idea and like yeah. starting a venture in real estate, I knew that there was going to be issues. So like I was fully accepting that. So nothing really came out and just like bit me in the butt just yet. We yeah. were able to negotiate. It was an older, older duplex, like early 1900s. So it had... Sure. Structurally, it was sound, but, you know, we were able to negotiate a new roof and yeah. closing costs or, you know, all, yeah, all but that you stuff. Got those, was, yeah, you got those expenses, right? Yeah. And, and it was like, it was just like a new process altogether. Um, and, you know, we just refinanced into a, we went from like a 4.2 all the way yeah. down to like a 3.3. Three. Yeah. And even the refinance was, you know, was a whole lesson learned. So at least well, yeah, I dude, there's a lot, a lot of lessons in now going into it. Yeah. The refinancing is a big deal, man. And buying a house is a big deal, but I like what you said. And I think that's a lesson for everybody, right? Is like, you've got to do enough homework to know what you're going to come up against. Because if you, if you come up against something that you've, that you've at least heard about, right, you can navigate through it. I think the tough part for a lot of people is, is they hear real estate like venture capitaling or venture capitalists or like, or like real estate uh, investing and stuff. And they just like, they just jump in before they even, like before they do any homework. And that's so dangerous, man. Because it's not like I went to Walmart and I, and I'm, or like a garage sale and I flipped some Hot Wheels or some baseball cards, dude. Hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars are, are up for grabs. And if yeah. you don't do it right, you can really mess it up. Because um, I remember we were looking for a house and we were going to look at one of these like bankruptcy ones, like the foreclosures or something like that. And I was doing my research and talking to some people and they were like, yeah, you, I was like, they were like, you can get a really good deal, but you know, you got to be careful for X, Y, Z or what, you know, liens or encumbrances or something like that. Right. Yeah. And uh, I had no clue. Like, but if I would have done that, if I would have jumped into that 
and bought a foreclosure and not known about like second liens and encumbrances. Cause some people are mad, man. Like if you take their house, they'll like, we had this story from my realtor where somebody had like dropped like concrete in all the pipes, dude. Gosh. But but because like, all right, if you're going to take it from me, no one else can have it kind of thing. Right. Right. And that's, (laughs) that's, you have to tear down the whole house, bro. Sometimes, you know what I mean? Or, or gut it depending on what they did. And so doing the research, like some people lose that, right. They don't do the research. And I think some people, and, and I'm not, I'm not going to claim to be some like expert in this field, but what I've observed is you've got to know what you want to do before you even get into it as well. Right. So you got the whole idea of like, yeah, just, Oh, like I know I need to take a risk and let's just do real estate. Right. Oh, $300,000. Oh, wait, hold on. But like, it's like, okay, where do I want to want this avenue to take? Right. You know, here's our five-year plan. Yeah. What's our you know, long-term goal? Do- yeah. Yeah, you're going to start flipping homes. You're going to, yeah, refinance, pull equity out. Are you going to buy and hold? You know, are you just going to, you know, like wholesale? Like there's so many different options. Oh, so many. Like, you've got to be so able to figure out like what you actually want to do before you start taking out 300,000, right. 400,000 loans. <laughs> well, and that, okay. So that's also the funny part because real estate's one of those industries where, you know, you can't get started with zero dollars. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like there's some yeah. side things that you can get away with. Like you can slowly grow it, but like um, real estate's not one of them. And one of the reasons that I like this though um, is because, you know, nobody that we talk to uh, rarely are they experts, right? Or were they even consider themselves experts? But the main thing is, is like anybody can do this, right? We were talking about it before, like the podcast started, that like there's so many ways to make money. And you just mentioned like five or six just in real estate. Like you don't have to buy a house and rent it out. You don't have to get a commercial real estate license and join a club and buy strip malls. With Like no one has millions of dollars, but you know, you can flip, you can wholesale, you can, um, you you know, you can do so many different things, right? Yeah, I think also with real estate too, especially right now, well, yeah. It may be a little bit difficult now with the pandemic, but I mean, first time home buyers, you know, 5%, 2.5% down. Yeah. You know, you, you get yeah. $300,000 loan. Yeah. And you can even do that, right? You can buy your first house at a real good price, stay in it for a little bit yeah. and keep it and rent it, you know, yeah. pay it off and rent it or something like that. You know what I mean? Like there's so many ways to get into this without having to like be a millionaire. Yeah. And I like it too, for being self-employed, I get yeah. all the depreciation value yeah. from owning, owning property as well. Yeah. That's the other thing you, you go into real estate, you need a really good uh, legal team and you need a really good accounting team. And then, and that's it, man. So call what, you. So, what? <laughs> so call you. Call me. Yeah, man. You can call <laughs> me. You can call me for accounting stuff, man. I learned a little bit about the legal stuff. Cause I have a, I have a, she's actually our attorney for, she's my attorney for uh, my accounting business and for another business that I started, the CBD business that I started. That's the Mm -hmm. wild West, bro. (laughs) That's the wild West, dude. (laughs) This CBD, man. I thought door to door sales was the absolute wild West. man. No, No. because they'll give you a loan, man. Really? <laughs> They'll give you a merchant account. If you wanted to sell that stuff online, you could get a merchant account. 
but um, like CBD is uh, it's considered high risk. It's in the same category as like alcohol, gambling, adult services, like, <laughs> no, it's like 100% legal in all the states. But anyway, I, that's been a wild ride, but they, uh, but the attorney that I work with, she's a, she's primarily a real estate attorney and she, um, she taught us a lot about that. And you kind of have to know that if you're going into real estate, right? Like, how do you, what do you do? And do you, do you run an LLC for each house or do you run an LLC for your whole thing? Right. Yeah. So I have a LLC for the franchise. I did a quick claim on the, uh, the duplex. So tell, tell us what a quick claim is because I actually took my real estate test, but I like did not want to sell real estate. What made you change your mind? <laughs> Dude, time, <laughs> time. I didn't have the time for that, man. That's another way you can get into real estate. Just go start selling houses, man. That's 1099 money too. Well, that's the, that's the funny thing about people, right? And sales. Okay. You can get me started on a rant here. Go, go. Is, is so like, and this is, this is the whole recruiting thing, right? Yeah. Man, I love, I love getting people from point A to point B, right? People come yeah. in like, Hey, we know you did good. Like, let me talk about it. I have people DMing all the time. Yeah. And it's just like, like how, how like, what'd you do? I'm like, all right, let's chat about it. And like, you get these guys like, look, I had these high ambitions and hopes, right? Like, like dreams are cheap. Yeah. Without goals. Like anybody can dream, right? Yeah. But if you don't have the goal to back it up, it's just a cheap, just a cheap thought. Yeah. So like you spend all this time, you commit all this time into people, you know, like, yeah. like all right, let's train you from point A to point B and boom, they just flink out on you. Yeah. That's frustrating. And it's like, whoa, whoa, like what? Like, like, wait, whoa. Like I thought we had, like, I spent all this time resources into mm-hmm. you flink out. That's like real estate, right? You, you pump all this money. And I feel bad too. Cause I've, I've let on yeah. a few loan officers on a, like, not on purpose. It's like, Hey, you know, I'm looking for the best deal. They put this time into me. Like, Hey, I'm going here. Yeah. All, all these guys are losing out on the commission. Real estate sure. agents. Like I had one guy that you and I both know that I was using. Yes, yes sir. And then, and then I changed because it, he just wasn't, wasn't well, you gotta uh, find the right person. Yeah. He wasn't like in the that same just, focus as me. Yeah. It's like, yeah, like I, I understand like the process of it all. Yeah. But at the end of the day, you got to be able to, to find the, the right people and, and get them on the bus. Well, yeah, so right. The right, and, officer, the right attorney, you got to find yeah. the right real estate agent. Yeah. Everything working together. And if you're, and if you're a real sales guy, you're not going to, you're not going to be offended if somebody doesn't choose you because that's the, that is literally the definition of sales is like, I, if you don't like 99% of people will buy from who they like, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? And if I don't get a good vibe from you or if I don't like, like what you're doing, you know what I mean? Then I'll just move on to the next guy. And if that's me, dude, like as a car salesman, that happens to me all the time. Yep. It's like, okay, maybe we just didn't click, man. But that's the thing is you just got to keep going. Like it doesn't matter. It's like I did everything that I thought I, I should do. And if we didn't click for some reason, like I'm a pretty likable guy most <laughs> of the time, except for when you don't like me, right? I, I don't know. You know what I'm saying? And that's the thing is, uh, is if you're a real sales guy, you just, it doesn't matter, dude. Like I've, I've had friends who, who, Hey, I want to buy a car from you. And now I'm a sales manager and they'll still call me and they'll be like, yeah, you don't have the car or, or you don't have like the price or something like that. And it's, I do my best. Right. And then if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. Like 
I, I'm, but I'm that kind of, my favorite part of like the first rule of sales for me, like after, like once you get into it and after you get through all your training, how do you sell something? And I learned two things right up front that if you can't say no, it's a bad deal. If you, if you can't say no, it's a bad deal. And if you can't like walk away, it's a bad deal. Mm-hmm. Like you have to be able to walk away from it. And then like, no, it's still a powerful word. Like, no, no, I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? But I think that's what a lot of people miss, right? They, they don't know how to talk with people and they don't know how to like negotiate. And uh, they think that like, it's bad if you say no to somebody. So that's, yeah. that's just, that's what I'm thinking. But that's like such a big misconception too. One book, Chris Voss, never split the difference. He, uh, he, yep. a whole perspective on negotiation. That, like, and you almost think, I mean, as a, like a young salesman, you're like, oh my gosh, like if they say no, it's the end of the world, right? Oh yeah, like, that's, not, that's not bad. Like yeah. I, I realized my kind of philosophy with no is that I feel like people, people in sales are always like, I got to control the conversation. I got to control the conversation. But when you, when you forcefully control the conversation, when people are in control, they get scared, fearful, right? Yeah, they sure. get nervous, seeing the body language. So don't be so focused about controlling the narr- the the conversation. Control yeah. the narrative. Right. I like so that. So be comfortable with people saying no. Yeah, because I like all that. Because knowing that they're still in in control control the conversation, right? Yeah. It's like throwing a, a leaf down the river, right? Let the leaf go wherever the heck it wants down the river, but the river still the narrative is still flowing the one direction. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I always like to get to know as quick as I can, man. Cause then, cause then you can get, you can, you can get the rest out of the way. You know, if it's, if it's a no, it's a no dude. But I, I like to get there as quick as I can because then you can, then I know what I'm doing. Right. But, um, how do you, so like, I know what I think, but I'm, I'm not the, I'm not on the podcast, man. What, like, how do you, how do you get somebody to, how do you control the narrative? Right. How do you get somebody to, to jive with what you're doing. That's a good one, man. That's a good question. Cause when you, when you come to, when you come to someone's door, right. When yeah. someone comes to you and like you, like the person outside who approaches you is going to try to sell you something. Right. Yeah, sure. So don't, don't hide from it. Right. Yeah. Well, and that's what, that's what, okay. That's what I tell salespeople all the time. They're like, what if they say no? I'm like, well, what else are they supposed to say, man? Yeah. Like, are they supposed to say, take all my money? You be some, man. <laughs> You just asked them to buy a $50,000 car. Are they just supposed to whip out their checkbook, bro? Of course not, man. They're going to say no. They're going to say the price is too high. They're going to say, I got to go talk to my wife or they're not here or I'll come back later. Like what else are they supposed to say? Like they, before they got to you, bro, they went on to Dave Ramsey car buying school. Okay. And Dave Ramsey told them that you pay what it weighs. Yep. Okay. <laughs> but like, okay, what are they, 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 the only thing they know about salespeople is what they hopped onto YouTube and found. Yeah. Like they're, yeah, dude, they just, I had this screensaver on my computer for a long time and it just said, expect it. Like you just expect it, bro. Yes. They, in my mind, when I meet somebody, they've already said no. Mm-hmm. They've already said no. They've already said the price is too high. So when I hear that, I don't get all fired up. I don't get all worried. Yeah. I've had a ton of people say the price is too high and then leave. It's nuts, man. It's, it's such a funny game. Sales is a funny game, especially for, um, 
especially since you get to meet just all types of people, right? Yep. Well, so so that's I guess that's the main thing, right? And and to wrap it up, like what what do you want to leave with people like who are starting their own business? Maybe they're gonna want to franchise. Maybe they're wanting to uh, get into the sales game or real estate or something like that. Like what what would you say to them? What do you have to offer? I'd say fully commit. I think that's important. I'd say fully commit. If you have your foot, you know, halfway in, halfway out, you're always going to be doing a half job. I don't know. It's hard to wrap that whole idea up in, in one, but yeah, I'd say commitment <laughs> and understand, understand the, the, uh, the, the words consistency and complacency. Yeah. Like the whole idea, there's so much involved in, in doing a franchise, doing a startup, you know, a business and, yeah. We all know people who are way more successful than us. You talk to them about their stories, but you, you've got to cons, cons, continue to be consistent in every, sing, every single thing you do. Yeah. Like you can slow down, you can take a breath, you know, if you need it, a couple seconds, but you cannot become complacent because the work fully stops. Right. Consistency yeah. is what adds value to what you have to offer. I like that, man, because it's like, what's the difference between, you know, uh, me and like a famous basketball player, right? Like I might be able to hit a three and it might look good, right? But I can't do it every time. Like consistency is what makes like professionals, right? I love that. Like, okay, if you had, I always use this for salespeople, like, and I use this for sales training, right? Like if you had me, like Michael Jordan, you know, LeBron James and Steph Curry on a team, right? Uh, that would never happen, but let's just pretend, right? And then you have like me and five of my homies. Right? <laughs> who who wins that game? L- assuming that my homies have never played uh, basketball in their life, who wins? Yeah, no question. Yeah, dude, the three, d- it's not about, right, it's not about uh, numbers. It's about quality. You know what I mean? It's not about like, it's about consistency and quality. So I really like that, man. Well, dude, I appreciate you coming on, man. And I And I feel like it went really well. And if you, you know, if any of you guys have questions, you can follow, you know, you can find Brent on social media. You can find us on social media. So uh, we'll wrap that up. But uh, thanks, man. Yeah. Thanks, Dalton.